You're listening to the Pines Church Podcast. To learn more, visit thepineschurch.com. Welcome everyone to the Pines Church Online Experience. My name is Matt Joya. I am the lead pastor here, and I am so excited that you carved out 25, 30 minutes and change to study the Word of God alongside us. We are in the middle of a series on stewardship, and I have a ton to share today. So to kick things off, I'm going to get right to it. I'm going to open with a quote by C.S. Lewis, a great father in the faith, and he says this, If you read history, you will find that the Christians who did most for the present world were precisely those who thought most of the next. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective. And so C.S. Lewis is giving us this glimpse, this window into Christians that are focused on the heavenly perspective in the spiritual realm are going to make a bigger impact on the here and now. And Christians that focus just on the worldly and the earthly are going to miss out on connecting people with the eternal. So as believers, we are to have an eternal perspective, not just a natural perspective of the 90 years that we take residence on this planet, but to recognize and understand that we are eternal and that every single human being that draws breath on this planet is going to end up in one of two realities for eternity in heaven or in hell. So there is an urgency behind what we study in God's word if we have an eternal perspective. So I want to make sure that we look at what we're going to be talking about today through an eternal perspective. We are in the middle of a series on stewardship. So I'm going to go ahead and define that word. Stewardship comes from the Greek word okionomia, which means a management of a household where one person looks after another's affairs or resources. Here's what you have to understand about stewardship. Psalm 24.1, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, if you were sitting in front of me, I would ask you to say everything, everything in it, the world and all who live in it. So everything belongs to God. Stewardship, understanding with an eternal perspective, is managing the kingdom's resources for the Father's business. So we are to be about the Father's business, not just our business, because nothing is truly ours. The world tries to uh, impregnate us with this idea of ownership. But really what sets us free is to recognize that everything belongs to God, to have this eternal perspective, and that he has made us stewards over these things. And the heart's cry of a good steward is that it will never be mine, it will always be yours. What do we steward? We steward our lives, we steward our finances, we steward our relationships, we steward our careers, we steward our gifts, literally everything that our hands can, can touch, we've been entrusted to steward. 
Andrew Murray said this, the world asks, what does a man own? Okay, going back to the ideology of this world. But Christ asks, how does he use it? In other words, what are you doing with the gifts that God has entrusted to you? What are you doing with the marriage, with the spouse that God has entrusted to you, with the relationships, with the finances, so on and so forth? Last week, we opened up this idea with a parable of the talents, which I would encourage each and every single one of you to read because it is the clearest depiction that God has given men gifts, that he's given certain entrustments to one he gave five, one he gave two, and one he gave one. The one with five doubled and God gave him more. The one with two doubled and God still entrusted to him more. And the one that had one buried it and when the master returned, gave it back to him. And the master's response was, you wicked and lazy servant. Wicked has a different connotation here in Maine. It can mean cool. That's not how he meant it. I can assure you. And so he took that one and he gave it to the one who had tens, which we know right off the bat that God isn't a socialist because if he was a socialist, he would have rearranged that everybody had equal amount. But no, he took the one from the, from the, the one servant that buried it and he gave it to the servant who had multiplied the five into ten, was entrusted with more, and then he gave him one on top of that. So as we are faithful and fruitful with what God has entrusted to us, he enlarges our field, he enlarges our capacity. And so today, we're going to be breaking down over the next few weeks leading up to Easter, different areas of stewardship. And today, we're going to be talking about finances, financial stewardship. Everybody say, show me the money. Okay, so to open this up, first I want to talk about the dangers, because there are dangers attributed with finances. I'm going to quote the great prophet, and I use that word loosely, Bob Dylan, who said this, let me ask you one question. Is your money that good? Will it buy you forgiveness? Do you think that it could? I think you will find when your death takes its toll, all the money you made will never buy back your soul. And so obviously Bob Dylan is a songwriter and, and singer, primarily popular in the 60s, 70s, and 80s. And, uh, but he, what he's sharing rings, rings true. In fact, 1 Timothy 6.10 says this, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith. Wow. A love of money can cause someone to wander away from the faith and pierce themselves with many pangs. Now, I want to I kind of spend a little bit of time on this scripture because it's one of the most misquoted scriptures in all of the Bible. I hear it in movies all the time. They say, money is the root of all evil. Let's go back to the beginning of that scripture. For the love of money is the root of all evil. Money is not the root of all evil. However, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It's not even, the, it's not even of some evil, all kinds of evil. The love of money seduces people to lie, steal, cheat, and even murder. We've all witnessed what man is capable of when money is his master. Idolatry always transforms you into the worst version of yourself. 
We cannot serve God and mammon. We cannot serve God and money. Money cannot be the Lord of our lives, or it will lead us to a root of all kinds of evil, even steering us away from our faith. And so it's okay to have money, but money can't have you. The Bible says in Mark 8.36, this is what uh, Bob Dylan was alluding to. What will it profit a man if he gains the whole world, which really he can't gain because we've already established that the whole world belongs to God. But in the natural sense, if a man thinks that he gains the whole world and he loses his own soul, what will it profit him? He won't be able to enjoy it. Again, thinking through an eternal perspective, our 90 to 120 years on this planet. Who cares if you're the richest man in the world, if you lose your soul, if you've elevated money to a place of idolatry and you've wandered away from the faith, you have lost your soul for eternity. And I don't know about you, but 90 years is great, but I'll take eternity, right? I'm going to focus on making decisions that are going to set up my eternity, now, we warned of the dangers of finances, that it can, take, it, can, it can grab root of our heart, take root inside of our heart, but is it wrong to be rich? Is it wrong to be wealthy? This is a good question that we should ask ourselves. Are we supposed to, as believers, walk around impoverished? Well, if it's wrong to be rich, then David, a man after God's own heart, has a lot of explaining to do. Because in 1 Chronicles 22, verse 14, it says this, Indeed, I have taken much trouble to prepare for the house of the Lord 100,000 talents of gold and 1 million talents of silver and bronze and iron beyond measure. You can't measure how much iron I have. It's beyond measure. For it is so abundant, I have prepared timber and stone also, that you may add to them. This is an inventory. This is an account of what David is bequeathing or leaving as an inheritance for his son Solomon to build a temple for God. And as I began to share some of those measurements, you may think, well, what, what's a thousand talents? What's iron beyond measure? Like, what does that really equate to? Well, some people that are a lot smarter than me took the time to break this down into what it would break, what it would be equal to in today's world, in our vernacular. And are you ready for this? What I just shared with you at 1 Chronicles 22, 14 would be the equivalent of over $125 trillion. Not billion, but billion dollars trillion, trillion, 125 trillion dollars. You play the national, you can pay the national deficit. Okay. That is huge. There is no human being on the planet that has even a drop in the bucket compared to what David had in his possession. Yet with all that wealth, it didn't have a hold of him. He truly saw it as a tool, as a resource to what? To be able to serve God. Again, this idea of ownership, whose money is it, is so important. David viewed himself as a steward 
of those finances. And as he, as he sensed the Lord asking him to build a temple, he was going to utilize those, those, those resources to build it. 1 Corinthians 4, 7 says this, What do you have that you did not receive? Now, if you did indeed receive it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Everything we have comes from God, and he has made us stewards over it. This is a protection for us to not allow pride to take root in our hearts. The minute that we step into ownership is the minute that we make us ourselves Lord over our lives. And that is a dangerous place to be. We cannot escape this idea that God has ownership and we have stewardship. God has entrusted this world to us, but it belongs to him. And understanding that we are stewards means we're going to manage possessions. And I know there are some sects of Christianity that would say, well, we shouldn't have any possessions. But possessions are mentioned 2,172 times in Scripture. Three times more than love, seven times more than prayer. You will see this theme woven all throughout God's Word, Old Testament and New Testament. The word treasures hidden in a field, pearls, talents, pounds, stables, and my favorite, spicknerd. So there are many different ways that we steward these possessions, but God has entrusted these things to us. And he doesn't want us to fall into the place that we own them, but he wants us to look at it and say, I have a responsibility as the parable of the talent showed us, to multiply, to be faithful, to be fruitful with these things. Remember the question that we asked ourselves at the end of last week's message, which if you haven't listened to that, I encourage you to jump back and listen to that because that's going to give you the framework and the context for this message is the question that we should ask over our marriage, over our finances, over our career, over our giftings, is WTF? Question mark. And that stands for where's the fruit, right? Not probably where you were going in your mind. You need to redeem mine. But where's the fruit? We need to ask ourselves that. Are we producing fruit? And if we're not, why are we not? See, God is going to trust us with wealth. In fact, can I just say this? That being poor is not a good strategy for helping the poor. Okay, now I'm hitting on a poverty mindset. Being poor is not a good strategy for helping the poor. You can only give what you have. In fact, if it's truly better to give than to receive, then wouldn't one want to work towards having something in order to be able to give? No, God hasn't called us to be poor in this world. He has given, he's blessed us so that we can be a blessing to others. Here's the, here's the idea. I've seen poverty in the eyes of the rich, and I've seen greed in the hearts of the poor. Poverty isn't good. Greed isn't good, okay? But you can be rich and have poverty to take root in your heart, and you can be poor and have greed take root in your heart, okay? So really, it's a condition of the heart, and we need to make sure that stewardship helps protect our hearts in knowing that it's not us 
Don't act like this is something that you did. God gave this thing to you. And now what are you going to do with it since God's given it to you? Now, some riches are obtained by lies and unethical practice. But on the converse, poverty can be obtained through laziness and unwillingness to learn. See, both are potential pitfalls in life, rich and poor. It may be easier, as the Bible warns us, for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. But you can just easily say that you can give everything away that you own to the poor and even sacrifice your body and still gain nothing. So there are pitfalls in both riches and poverty. And what protects us and keeps us on the road is stewardship. 1 Timothy 4.8 says this, Godliness is profitable for all things, having, the, having promise of the life that now is, and of that is which to come. So godliness, okay, our obedience to Christ, to the scriptures, has a promise attached to it. A promise in the life here, the 90 to 120 years, but also a promise in the life to come, eternity with him. And so we want to make sure that we are walking in godliness because it is profitable. And yes, it's profitable in wealth, it's profitable in health, it's profitable in time, in relationships, in every aspect of our lives. And so through obedience, we are going to be required to work. We were created in Christ Jesus to do good works. God entrusted Adam to work the fields, right? And so we have been required to work. God provides, and the Bible says, God provides, God provides for the birds of the field, right? But he doesn't drop the worm in the nest. The, the, the bird has to go out and search, and God directs the bird to the worm so that the bird doesn't starve to death and has food to feed its younglings. And I want to address this idea that I see sometimes in the body of Christ where people say, well, I'm going to live by faith. But faith without works is dead. My father used to drill this into me. Faith isn't the absence of responsibility. Faith isn't sitting on your blessed assurance, just ma magically hoping that God sends you know, angels to put money in your mailbox to pay all of your bills. Can he do that? Absolutely. But God moves through our faith and obedience. It begins to open doors and sets us on the right track, just like he guides and leads that bird to be able to have food for his bird or her bird family. In our culture, work typically equates to pay. So I want to spend the next few minutes talking about how we should steward our pay, how we should steward our paycheck, how we should steward our wealth and our inheritances and everything that God has entrusted to us. And so again, 
This isn't an exhaustive list. I, I could spend an hour speaking about every single one of these topics, but this is topical. I just want to give you a broad stroke of some of, the, some of these ideas, some of these things that we should be doing as believers that is supported through Scripture. And I do understand that many of you have never even heard these things because your parents haven't practiced these disciplines. Their parents haven't practiced these disciplines. And so they were never passed on to you. So don't fall into shame and condemnation if you're not... Um, if you're not operating in some of these areas, just look, let the conviction hit your heart and say, this is amazing. Now I know what I should be cultivating in my life. And I want to start with this. Proverbs 13, 22, this is out of the Amplified, says, a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children, and the wealth of the sinner is stored up for the hands of of the righteous. I want to take the next minute to talk about investment and savings. The Bible says that a wise man will set aside money to save, okay? And what it's talking about here is that a wise man, a godly man, a good man will leave an inheritance not only for his children, but for his children's children. So the question has to be asked, what are you doing to put yourself in a position where you're putting money aside? If you're like me, when I started my life out, I looked at, I paid my bills, and then whatever extra I had is whatever extra I had. I always left, you know, like a few hundred dollars in my savings account, um, but I wasn't really disciplined about it, but just to, just to have it in there for the sake of having it if I needed a spare tire. But we should be thinking about our children's children. We should be setting aside a little bit. Little by little, one travels far. J.R. Token. And so as a, as a young man or woman, if you start to put a little bit away, the compound interest, that will grow. And by the time you're in a position where you start talking about inheritances, you will have a lot of money to be able to share. And I, I want to share this too, because it doesn't just stop there. It says the wealth of the sinner is stored up for the hands of the righteous. Maybe you're in a position where you're like, Matt, I'm in my 50s and 60s. I didn't start putting money aside for my children's inheritance or even for my retirement. And now I'm in my 50s. I'm getting close to stepping out of um, the workforce. How, how am I going to do this? Well, I would say start where you're at. There are a million different things that you can do as you start to look at the money that's coming in and the money that's going out. There are things that you can you don't need or things that you can start to invest in. In fact, this is just a side note, but there's this amazing app called Acorns, and I'm not doing an infomercial for them, but this is something that I started a long time ago, and it links to your bank account. And every time you use your card, okay, and you buy a pack of gum for a dollar and sixty-seven cents, right? Um, it, it takes the 33 cents and it rounds to $2 and it invests it into a, a safe mutual fund, right? That's not going to, you're not going to break the bank. You're not going to hit the lottery and, and, and make a bunch of money, but it's, it's, it's based in things that are relatively trending up. So it's going to be safe. So you're not going to miss that 33 cents. You can just tell, say in your mind that, you know, you paid $2 for that pack of gum. So you paid $1.67 for it. It just took the 33 cents and it put it in there. Not a big, not a lot of money, right? Well, if you do that, multiply by every single time you use your card on every single transaction over the course of your life, you're going to have a lot of money. And so this is something that I started, um, you know, in my 30s. And it's, you know, I started late, really. 
and it says just this, not, not my 401k, not my IRA, not any other investment that I have in my life, just this simple little app that every single time I use my card, it just takes the change and invests it into this mutual fund. By the time I'm 65, I will have, it's predicting, I will have $75,000 in there. That's just taking the change from every transaction. I'm not gonna miss that money. That's not gonna make or break whether we eat, whether I pay my mortgage. It's 33 cents. I, I wouldn't be the wiser if, if, if I never saw it. So that's something that I set up once in my 30s. I spent seven minutes to set it up and I forget about it. And occasionally I check on it, but that's setting money. So you want to make these things automatic so that you don't have to think about them. But going back to the second part of that scripture, and the wealth of the sinner is stored up for the hands of the righteous. What does that mean? It means that there's wealth that is stored up for you, the righteous, that is currently in the hands of the sinner. So how does that money get into your hands? Guess what? The Bible does not give us a formula of A plus B equals C. But it does tell us that there is money stored up for you. And so let me share a testimony of how this happened in my life. It's going to be different for you, but you can gravitate your faith on this scripture and don't put expectations on God. It has to happen like this, A plus B equals C, but be expecting that God is going to perform his word when we receive it by faith. So when Jess and I started to share the vision in the heart behind planting the Pines Church, right? We shared it with everybody far and wide. And many of them, the people that sowed into the church and that gave and continued to give, are all believers, are all Christians. We believe in this. We want to sow seed into Maine. We want to advance the kingdom of Maine. That's kind of a no-brainer. You would think that like-minded believers would get behind the vision. But here's the story. I have, we've had two different individuals that are self-professed atheists. They do not believe in God. But as we share the vision that God has entrusted to us, they're both doing really well in life. They sowed, they gave, they wouldn't say they sowed, but they did, they sowed into the church. And they gave significant amounts of money to the church, even though they didn't believe in God. How do you explain that? How do you explain an atheist giving towards a church campaign? Proverbs 13, 22. Something in their heart stirred that maybe they didn't even necessarily know what they were doing. Now, I didn't deceive anybody. I didn't trick anybody. But they were prompted to give, even though the blinders are on their eyes and they don't believe in God, their heart still knows that there's something there and they were moved to give. So that's just an example that I look back over my own life and I say, an atheist had no like, no place in giving into a church, yet they were moved to do so. So I don't know how the Lord's going to perform this in your life, but I know that he will because God is faithful. So claim and believe that scripture by faith. The Bible says in Proverbs 13, 11, wealth gained hastily will dwindle. 
but whoever gathers little by little will increase it. You're putting a little bit of money aside every single time. You're not trying to hit the right Bitcoin, right, and then lose all of your money. You're not buying scratch tickets. You're putting little by little, one travels far. Proverbs 10, 4 through 5 says this, lazy people are soon poor. Hard workers get rich. Get rich. Hard workers get rich. You should be the hardest worker in your job force. Okay? Everybody has the ability to do that. You may not be the most talented. You may not be the smartest. You may not be bringing the most education. But you can outwork everybody in that room. A wise youth harvests in the summer, but one who sleeps during a harvest is a disgrace. So again, we need to start as a youth thinking about putting money aside as we get older. And every 50 or 60 or 40-year-old will tell you when you're young, man, you need to start putting money aside. But typically you think you're going to live forever and I'll get to that, I'll get to that. And then all of a sudden you realize, wow, I'm 35 years old and I haven't put anything aside. So start this in your youth. Second thing we need to understand that as, as stewards of God's finances, he is looking for us to give. He is, and the Bible refers to it as sowing. He is looking for us to sow the finances that he has entrusted to us. The Bible says in Acts 20, 35, it's better to give than to receive. It is blessed to give. You are blessed to be able to give. 2 Corinthians 8, 7 through 8 out of the NLT says this, Since you excel in so many ways, you have so much faith, such gifted speakers, such knowledge, such enthusiasm, and such love for us. Now I want you to excel in this gracious ministry of giving. Giving is a ministry. And Paul is admonishing the Corinthians church, championing them, saying, you're excelling in so many areas. I want you to excel in this area, the ministry of giving. Giving is a ministry. It's the same as a ministry gift of somebody leading worship, of somebody teaching the word, of somebody, you know, uh, taking care of the children. It is a ministry gift. This is one way to prove your love is real. How we give Giving shows that our love is genuine and sincere for God. It shows that money hasn't taken a hold of our heart, that we don't own it, that we are stewards looking for places to sow. Remember, the master rebuked the, the servant that, di that didn't multiply, that wasn't fruitful, that didn't give with the gift that he had been entrusted with, with the talent that he had been entrusted with. In fact, I'm just going to go ahead and read this, and I know we're bumping up against the time, but this is so important, and I just don't want to take this for granted. The God has entrusted us to sow the finance, to give the finances that we've been given. He says this in Malachi 3. He says, From the days of your fathers you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me. How do we return to him? By keeping his statutes. And I will return to you. Some of you feel like God's not in your life. Well, you're the one that walked away because the Bible says draw near to God and he will draw near to you, which means you can walk away from him. Anyway, I'm preaching myself happy right now. But you say, how shall we return? So you're saying, well, how are we supposed to return, God? He answers, will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, 
How have we robbed you, God? In your tithes and offerings. Notice that God didn't just say, you robbed me with your tithes. Tithes is a tenth, a tenth percent of what comes into your hand automatically belongs to the Lord. Well, you might say, Matt, that's an old, that's the law. And we're under a new covenant. Well, Abraham gave a tenth of his wages and he was before the law. And Jesus, furthermore, affirmed the giving of the Pharisees. And he said, you give a tenth of your wages, you are wise to do so, but you neglect these matters. And so a tenth is automatically his. But notice that God says, not only do you rob me in tithes, your 10%, but also in offerings. What are offerings? Offerings is when we have generosity that takes residence in our heart and we hear of a need. Maybe a missionary shares something. Maybe there's a couple in your church that's just got engaged and they're getting ready to start their life and they need everything from curtains to ranch dressing to everything, a shovel for their driveway. There's so many things and we're living in a inflated society. If everybody were to come alongside and just and help in a little area, we'd be able to set people up for success. And so God is looking at his children saying, you've robbed me in this area because I put needs all around you and you're not sowing what I've entrusted to you into their hands. You're keeping it all for yourself. And if you hold on to it, then that's all you're going to get. But if you open your hand and you give and you share, I'm going to make sure that your hand never runs dry. And here's what he says. You, you are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me and the whole nation. God says, you're robbing me when you don't give to those that are in need all around you. He says, you're cursed. Now, if I say you're cursed, like, big deal. You're like, hey, some guy on the internet is telling me I'm cursed. If God says you're cursed, that is a big deal. We come under a curse when, we don't, when we're not obedient to the word of God, which is why he's saying, return to me. Return to godliness. Return to obedience. And take me at my word. If you don't, you're walking away from me and you bring yourself under a curse. It's not something that God is doing to you. It's something that you're walking into. And God's trying to protect you from that. So he says, therefore, bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Remember, you're never giving to a church. You're giving through a church. We sow our seed both near and far in helping widows, orphans, single mothers, veterans, everybody that we can in need. And thereby, this is, and this is beautiful, put me to the test. The only place in God's word where he says, you know what? You having a hard time believing this? Test me on it. Test me on it. He says, the Lord of hosts, if I will not open up the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. So God's saying, I'm going to pour out so much blessing in your life that you're not going to have any needs. I'm going to meet every single one of your needs according to my riches and glory. I will rebuke the devourer. So not only that, he said, I'm going to meet all your needs. And then the devourer that cries to come, I'm going to rebuke him 
for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all the nations will call you blessed for you will be a land of delight. In other words, I'm going to bless my people so that they, the world sees that you're blessed to be a blessing. Wow, look at these people. Not only do they have more than enough for themselves, but they give to everyone that's in need. And God is saying that may be hard for you to understand, but test me in this area and I will cause you to flourish. And so as a steward, this is easier to swallow because we recognize that it doesn't belong to us anyway. We don't own this money. We are stewards. Therefore, we can be led to sow and to give where the Holy Spirit is leading us to sow and to give. And God is saying, if you obey me in this area, you will have more than enough for yourself. You will have an abundance to be able to meet the needs of all those that are around you. And this is where faith enters the equation because in the natural, you think you give, there's subtraction. But in the Bible, as you give, there's multiplication. You begin to produce fruit because you have to move forward in faith, not lean on your own understanding. Man, I am just, I feel like I'm going to come out of my skin right now. I'm all amped up, okay? So we're going to bring this thing all back down. Okay, where, where do I, oh, there's so much more I want to share. I'll, I'll just share this. It says, Proverbs 11, 24 through 25, it says this, In God's kingdom, giving leads to wealth. Give freely and become more wealthy. And it's not of some obscure translation. It's talking about the NLT. People say, well, God doesn't want you to be wealthy. Then why did he write that in his word? Give freely... In other words, you know, like, uh, I don't know, and I don't know. No, I'm going to give freely because I'm not an owner. I am a steward, so I'm going to give to those that are in need and become more wealthy. Be stingy and lose everything. The generous will prosper. Those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. As you, I want to be known. As a man who refreshes others, not so that I can be refreshed because I'm an ambassador of Christ and I want to help meet the needs of all that, those that are around me. And God says, if you do it my way, not only will those people be refreshed, but you yourself will be refreshed. Did you know that holding on in stinginess, it leads to poverty, but it also leads to drying up. And as we loosen our hand and we're generous and we give, we actually are refreshed. Very next verse says this, good comes to those who lend money generously and conduct their business fairly. You know, if you look at that word in the Hebrew, lend money, it's the word lawe. I, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly. And it has the meaning of attaching oneself to someone or something. Our giving is attaching ourselves 
to the future, which is why you want to find good soil to be able to sow in. You don't want to say, hey, I'm going to give a tenth of my wages, you know, uh, at, at the scratch tickets. That's not using your money wisely. You're like, I'm going to ensure this return by buying these scratch tickets. No, it's looking for that godly couple that has just come to Christ or that missionary that has, you know, like we're going to Vietnam and we're going to reach people for Christ and your heart is touched and you say, you know what? I'm going to give this money. I'm going to attach my faith. I'm going to attach my finances uh, that God has made me a steward over. So it's God's money. It went through my hands. It's going to this missionary and I'm attaching myself to you and to the work and to everybody that you touch in Vietnam. I'm attaching myself to this marriage and through your through your through this matrimony, you're going to have children, you're going to reproduce, you're going to be a productive member of society, you're going to influence those that are around you. Generosity creates opportunities and advances the kingdom of heaven. I'll close with this. Psalm 112.4 says this. Light shines in the darkness for the godly. They are generous, compassionate, and righteousness. And, and righteous. I don't know what you're facing. You may feel like the future is uncertain. You're trying to get an answer from God. As you look ahead, everything seems dark. But the Bible is saying, if you are generous with what God has entrusted to you, the light will shine. God will illuminate the path that he has set before you. But if you step away in stinginess, in a hoarding mentality, you're moving in the opposite direction of the Holy Spirit and you're bringing yourself under a curse and you will find yourself in darkness. And if you find yourself in that space and place, don't fall prey to condemnation, but Heed that conviction from the Holy Spirit. Embrace the truth of God's word. Open up your hand and be willing to be generous with the seed that God has entrusted to you. And watch as God brings a harvest into your life and the lives of others. I want to pray for you this morning. Man, I'm amped up. This is so good. Take God at his word. He literally invites you to test him in this area. Now is the time. You don't have to return back to struggling to pay bills. God wants you to flourish. God has blessed you so that you can be a blessing. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for every single person under the sound of my voice. And I pray that faith would take root in their hearts and that they would apply these scriptures in their lives. Lord, you said if we have faith as small as a mustard seed, that we could say to this mountain, be ye removed. I pray for that level of faith in every single person that is listening, that is watching. As they open their hands and begin to sow seed, that they will see the faithfulness and the provision of God in the life that now is pointing and leading people to you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you guys so much. I know I ran a little longer on this one, but I think it was worth it. Until next time, Godspeed. Thank you so much for listening to the Pines Church Podcast, a sermon resource provided by the Pines Church in Bangor, Maine. We'd love to hear from you, so leave us a review on this podcast. If you have any questions, visit thepineschurch.com. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.